What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new content, whether it be a podcast such as this one, articles, uh, news and notes, polls, updates to the website, anything baseball related at all really you guys can find at ethos fantasy bb and the website like i mentioned sportsethos.com. that's where you get everything right from the source coverage for across all four major sports we have dfs we have gambling we have team coverage please make sure you guys are checking us out over there today we are going to do another starting pitching review we're going to tackle another 10 sps from this past season going to go from number 41 down to 50 on Yahoo's Ranker. We're going to start with number 41. We're not going to waste any time today. Let's get right into it. Let's talk Max Freed. Max Freed had, honestly, an excellent, excellent season. And I know it was abbreviated. He only threw 14 starts. But while he was out there, it was a 255 ERA. He got a strikeout rate up to 25.7% and still had a very good walk rate of 5.8. You're looking at a 19.9 strikeout minus walk rate for Freed, which was the best that he had ever had. That 255 ERA is obviously great. Now, the problem with Max Freed this past season was that he had a bunch of injuries. He had a blister that's caused him to miss the end of the season, the last two starts, I believe. Now, the real problematic one was the forearm, and there was also his hamstring that got hurt right at the beginning of the season as well. He just kind of had stuff that was taking him out all over the place. The forearm is the concerning one. And Max Freed, I find, is a really tough player to kind of evaluate heading into 2024. We have, I don't really know uh, about how much certainty we have at this point about his health. I haven't really seen too many updates this offseason about anything, really. Um, And I know what happened at the end of the season. It was a blister. It wasn't too serious. I don't know necessarily if he's like 100% all the way back from the forearm. I, I, I don't know. And he looked good when he came back this season. Don't get me wrong. It was over a short sample size over the last uh, eight or ten starts that he made. He did look really good. It just kind of worries me a little bit when there is now, I don't want to say like a long track record, but we do have several injuries now for Max Freed. And I know I've talked about how I'm not really going to be holding that against a lot of guys this season. If you're coming into the year healthy, then you're healthy. But Freed literally just as recently as last season had a ton of injuries. And it's pretty much every year where he is dealing with something. Blisters do pop up a lot if you look at his injury history. Something he's dealt with, I believe, four different times in his career. You've got the forearm. You've got the hamstring. You've had different things with his ankle and his hand. There's a lot of different injuries that have piled up on Max Freed for a fairly young guy. Has not hit 30 yet. Now, he will hit 30 by the time the season starts. But I kind of worry a little bit about a full workload for Max Freed this coming season. I mostly worry about it because we're not really getting any kind of discount on the price because of you know him missing time. You, I would have thought that he'd be maybe going a little bit later than this, but over the last month, his ADP is 63, minimum pick of 53, and maximum of 76. I don't necessarily hate it, but I just think in that range, in that, and you know, I've talked about this on Twitter the last couple of days, I'm going to be talking about my ideal team builds from the different draft spots. I think that based on my research, there's just a lot of guys that you can get at, either if it's around before Freed, around after Freed, that I I think I would definitely be preferring if we're talking about taking your SP2 or, you know, potentially even your SP1 in that kind of range. I I just think it's a little bit too pricey when I can go for Logan Webb at pick 69, where I don't have the injury concerns and I'm getting, you know, a very similar type of player, albeit without the great team context to the same extent. 
but I think you can work around your draft, especially at this point, uh, and take guys that you don't have as much of a concern with injury about. And I think Max Fried, it's not like I have massive, massive concerns. He's not like on a Buxton level or a Jazz Chisholm type of level. But I definitely think that you could take a safer player in that kind of range and not even have to spend necessarily the same kind of price. You know, you can wait a couple rounds and go for like my guy, Zach Eflin, who I'm going to be pushing pretty heavily this year. I'm going to be on the agenda of pushing Zach Eflin up draft boards. I'd be taking him uh, pretty much every single time over Max Fried. You're still talking great team context. You're talking similar strikeout rate with even a better walk rate. You know, you have a little bit of concern with Eflin based on the past, but he did just throw a healthy season where Freed was not able to do so, and that does kind of weigh into it uh, a little bit for me as well. So I, I just overall think you don't need to be taking Max Freed where he's going. I think the price is a little bit too high, in my opinion, right now. But let's talk about number 42, Jose Barrios. I really honestly was thinking he was going to bounce back this season. I didn't think it would be to the extent that he did. I thought we'd probably get, you know, like a mid-four type of ERA from Barrios, and it would be a bounce back, but it wouldn't be like a great fantasy season. But in reality, he gave you 11 wins. He threw 32 times this season, which is something that has been something he's done every single year, right? Going back to 2018, obviously you can't count 2020. He missed, or excuse me, he made every single start in 2020. But he has been a guy who has made every single start now pretty much for his like entire career. Like He's not a guy who misses games. It was 189 innings for you with a 3.65 ERA. He was also able to give you a 1.19 whip and a 23.5% strikeout rate, which did get boosted back up. It did fall in 2022 in his horrendous season with Toronto, his first full year with the Jays. But he was able to bounce back pretty substantially this past season. And he was somebody that you were starting every single week with confidence. Now, I think Jose Barrios is somebody that he does have a little bit of variance in him, but I think 2022 was probably the worst that we are going to see out of him. I think you're probably looking at a guy who does give you that, you know, what we pretty much always see from Jose Barrios, a 3.75 to 4 type of ERA, maybe a touch above at worst, like, you know, maybe 4-1, 4-2 type of ERA, but somebody that is going to eat a lot of innings for you by volume, and even by a per-inning basis, he's going to be a decent strikeout guy. Like You have a potential to get the 200 Ks with Barrios, even if it's not like you know a ton of double-digit strikeout games. You know If you look at his innings pitch, you're looking at 192, 200, 192, 172, 189. I think you're going to get the 200 Ks with double-digit wins, and you're probably looking at pretty decent ratios. And considering where you're getting him at pick 170, thereabouts, 171, I have no problem with it. I think it's a very reasonable price to be uh, paying at that point for a rotation stabilizer, somebody that, like I said, every week you're starting Brios. There's not really a question. I mean, unless you're maybe getting like in Cincinnati or something, but I mean, 99% of the time you're starting him and you're getting him close to pick 200. There's not a hell of a lot of guys in that range that I feel as confident about from a volume standpoint, from a skill standpoint, or from, from a team context standpoint as well. So I think that Jose Barrios is a pretty safe investment there going around pick 170. Let's talk about a guy who didn't quite perform maybe as well as he could have last season, and that's why his ranking is a little bit farther down here, but somebody that I am a huge fan of, and that's Jesus Lazardo. Now, he ended the season. It was still fairly impressive, don't get me wrong, uh, but it did go up and down uh, a little bit. You're still talking like a sub-4 ERA, but the month of August uh, did really, really balloon him. 16 earned runs in his 24 innings pitched in August. It ended up being a, an ERA over four in the second half. And that month really did kind of spoil it for Jesus Lazardo. 
If you look at every other month, the ERAs were 348, 390, 328, 193, 338, and 329. He was pretty damn consistent outside of August. And that did come down to, I believe, was it two starts in August that were bad? There was the start against the Yankees, and then right after it, where he faced Houston, uh, where he really got rocked. There was 12 earned runs in those two starts, and that kind of ballooned it for the season, really. And, I mean, I know you can't really do this, but even with those two terrible starts, you're looking at a 358 ERA from Jesus Lizardo. You're looking at a more than 20% strikeout minus walk rate, 28.1 on the K rate, 7.4 on the walk rate, 20.6. That's an elite number. Once you're over 20%, like you're talking great stuff. And he's done that now two seasons in a row. I know it was only 100 innings in 2022, but you are talking about, again, you know that same kind of level of dominance where you're looking at a three and change ERA with very strong supporting metrics. And he had that this year, 372 X fit, 355 fit. Everything looked very strong. He's not stranding an overwhelming amount of base runners to you think to to the point where it's unsustainable. Seventy four point nine percent. That's pretty average. Three eleven Babbitt that he's allowing. Probably there's some room for that to go down. Not even substantially, really, but even if it just goes down to high twos, low threes, where it's generally been for him, then you're probably looking at you know shaving a few more points off of the ERA and WHIP. And I think Lazardo can be somebody that is a legitimate ace that you're not paying ace prices for this coming season. You're getting him right now at pick 81, and it's expensive, but it's not to the same degree of expensive as these guys in round two and round three and round four. You can build out your roster in those first couple rounds with guys who you are pretty confident are going to be, you know, like, like we're always targeting in those first couple rounds, balanced guys who are going to play a lot of games for you. And, you know, you look at the position players a little more closely at that point because you can get a guy like Lazardo at pick 81. There's been a couple drafts where he goes outside of the top 100. It's not terribly common, but it does happen. So with that skill set, I think that you're pretty, pretty well off taking Lazardo as like, I mean, it depends on your build. We've talked about a bunch of different builds, but like your SP2 or 3 in that range, I think that even if he's your SP1 in certain builds, you might be able to get away with it just because of the strong strikeout rate. The fact that wins are so random anyway, you're not really sure what you're going to get out of anybody. So, you know, I know the team context isn't great, but Lazardo could still come away with 13 or 14 wins to go along with like a close to a three ERA and a 30% K rate. At that point, you're talking probably a first round value. So I love him. I think where he's going is fair and I'm going to have him on a good amount of my teams this season. Let's move from Lazardo to his teammate, somebody that if you did follow me on social media this past season, or even the season before, uh, you saw me talk quite a bit about him, and that's Braxton Garrett. Braxton Garrett is somebody that I think is very close to being a stud pitcher. Not to say that he's going to be uh, a number one for fantasy purposes or the number one pitcher on the Marlins because they are fairly stacked there between Lazardo, between Alcantara, Yuri Perez. But I think that Braxton Garrett is pretty close to being one of those guys that can be uh, a mainstay at the top of fantasy rosters every single season. If you look at a lot of different leaderboards for this past year, he was pretty damn high up on a lot of important categories. And I'm not 100% sure if he qualified as a starter. I think he probably did. I mean, he started, 50, uh, what was it, 159 innings, 30 games started. I believe he was a qualified starter. Let me just 100% double-check that if he shows up in these leaderboards. So he's not showing up in these leaderboards. So that means – and that's another thing that I'll use as a side note here. The qualifications for qualified starters probably have to be moved down a little bit here because when a guy's throwing 160 innings and he's starting 30 games in the season – 
I think that he should probably be considered a qualified starter at that point. But in any event, when you drop the innings pitch threshold to 150, Braxton Garrett comes in at eighth on the XFIP scale with a 342 number. If you go to straight FIP, he's a little bit lower at 19th with a 368 number. If you go to the Sierra, which has always been a big one that I tend to look at, Braxton Garrett comes in at number 10. And then strikeout minus walk rate. Braxton Garrett comes in at number 17 with a 19.3 mark. It might not be blowing you away, but that strikeout minus walk rate this season was better than Logan Webb. It was better than Blake Snell, better than Kyle Bradish, better than Senga, better than Corbin Burns, better than Sonny Gray. He has potential to, he has the potential to be, I think, and not, again, I don't want to overstate it, but I think he can be an SP2 for fantasy, somebody that we are consistently looking at as like a guy that we're ranking between 15 and 20, 15 and 25, in that sort of range. He has great control, 4.5% walk rate. The strikeouts are pretty average, 23.7%, slightly above average. But I think you'll take that, considering the skills that he shows in the other areas and the underlying numbers being so strong. I think that he's somebody that is going to be really, really interesting to me this year. I pick 183. You're not spending a high draft pick on him. It doesn't really matter if you're talking a 12 or a 15-teamer. If it's a 15-teamer, that's like the 13th round. And you have a potential to get a fantasy ace on your hands there, considering what he's able to do for you. I don't think that he's going to be able to you know, unlock a massive, massive strikeout number. Maybe we see him get to like 25-ish. I think you're probably still looking at like a 24% K rate with maybe a 5% walk rate. And I think you're probably going to be able to see an ERA that's around what they're projecting here on Steamer, which is sub four, 3.96. And there's not a hell of a lot of guys that you see projected for that kind of an ERA. I know it doesn't you know, knock you, knock you on your side because it's so low or whatever. But when you're getting him close to pick 200, again, he's a guy that I think you're going to be able to see a lot of innings out of. You're going to get average enough strikeouts. And I think the ratio, specifically the whip, should be really, really good considering the way that he is able to have that incredibly low walk rate. So I'm a big fan of Garrett, and I think I would be taking him pretty regularly here. Uh, where he's going around pick 180 or so. Let's move on to a bit of an odd one, but he has been able to be a good pitcher over these last several seasons. That was Wade Miley. Who would have thought Wade Miley would give you a 3.14 ERA, nine wins, and a 1.14 whip this season? He's 37 years old now, and he's not somebody, again, that's going to have any kind of flash or any kind of sexiness at all, but Wade Miley over the last several seasons has been really good. 2022, he didn't pitch a hell of a lot, only eight starts because he was injured. He still gave you a 3.16 ERA in those starts. 2021, pitching in Cincinnati, 163 innings, 28 starts, a 3.37 ERA. Like, he's overshooting his advanced numbers. He's not a big strikeout guy. Wins are going to be kind of hit or miss because the teams have been kind of hit or miss over the years. But damn, like, you got to give him his flowers. He's been able to be a really dependable starter, even as just somebody that you were streaming in this season if he wasn't somebody that was, like, a regular in your rotation. And I know if you're playing in an NFBC league or if you're any type of 15-team league, he was on your roster because there's not too many guys that are going to have a sub-3.5 ERA that are just sitting there. But I don't, I just don't know what to make of him, right? Like, we're talking about a guy who is 37 years old. Uh, he did agree to a new contract with the Brewers. He'll be back there for another season. So, you know, you similar context for where he's been last year. He's also had a previous stint with, with Milwaukee in 2018. So he knows the environment. He knows the staff. He knows the team around him. Nothing's changing there. And I usually tend to prefer that for a free agent, especially kind of a fringy guy. He's had success here. I mean, he's had success in three different locations over the last three years, but he's sticking in a place where he's currently just had success at 37. To not have to rock the boat too much, I think, is going to be a positive there 
for Wade Miley, not having to learn new pitching coaches, new ballpark environment, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think that he's a strong target, whether you're talking about uh, draft and hold or if you're talking about even just your standard fab league, he's going at pick 451 on average. So you are talking generally about you know the last kind of pick of your 15-teamer. 450 is, I think, yeah, that's like the last pick. So a standard 15-team league, they draft 30 rounds if you're talking fab leagues. You know, when you hear people talk about TGFBI or main events or, or that kind of thing, that's what they're talking about. 450 players are drafted. So if you can take him with your last pick, maybe your second last pick, and potentially you get one more year of a sub-4 ERA for Miley, to get that in that range where you're pretty much guaranteed to be dropping these guys anyway is a huge bonus. So I have no problem at all with it. There is no reason not to take a chance on him at that point. The upside in that last pick... I mean, sometimes you can find a guy who you think is going to get some good rookie at bats or a sophomore guy, potentially a post-hype sleeper dude, whoever it is. It doesn't really matter the type. Sometimes you can get some kind of upside in your last round or two. But I think with Miley, you know, it's upside in a different way. You're getting that older kind of guy upside. It's not Upside's always associated with young guys slash prospects. But if you can get a guy who is flying under the radar because of his age, because he's not really sexy in terms of the strikeout rate, but he's just kind of been able to get by and do it the last several years – I mean, look at what Johnny Cueto did for several years as well. It was the same kind of thing, and he's still kind of been able to do it. Just somehow is able to give you, you know, with piss-poor strikeout rates and bad supporting metrics, just is able to do it. And I don't necessarily um, – I'm not putting all my eggs in the Miley basket, but if there's even any chance he can do that again with your last pick of the draft, there's no reason not to take a chance and try it out. Let's move on and talk Ryan Pepio, number 46. Somebody that I did mention not too long ago because he was obviously a centerpiece of the trade that happened between Tampa and the Dodgers. He was the big piece going back for Mr. Tyler Glass now. Now, I did talk about Pepio then. If you did hear it, apologies, because there will be a little bit of repetition here. But I'm not totally sold that he is going to be this absolute savior. I think that the Rays, they made a shrewd enough business move, but honestly... I don't know that Pepio is going to, and he's kind of the big piece, right? Johnny DeLuca, I don't really think there's really a hell of a lot there without saying, I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest prospect guy, but Pepio was essentially like, you know, 90%, 85% of that return for Glass now. And you're talking about a guy who I don't know that he's going to really be able to have those impressive type of strikeout numbers that we saw in the minor leagues. It's possible. But I think that you're probably looking at somebody who is going to be more of an average strikeout and walk guy, at least for another couple of years. Like, he was really lucky this past season. He had eight games total. Three of them were starts, 42 innings. And he had a 2.14 ERA and a .76 whip. And that's why people are going crazy. He outshone, outshone, whoa, out outperformed, out, outshone. I was trying to be outshined or whatever. I don't know. My brain is stopping. Uh, it's stopping right now. But... He was way overproducing uh, what he should have done last season based on what the advanced metrics tell us, right? He wouldn't have been terrible, but, you know, 418 FIP, you're looking at a 399 X FIP. You're looking at a guy who had a 3.1 walk percentage when pretty much every year, always in the minors, even when he was this highly touted prospect, is always above 10%. To come up to the majors and suddenly walk nobody, you know, those 42 innings, he only had five walks. Is that really realistic to, to stick? No, it's not. And he's projected to go way back up to 9% next year. The strikeout rate projected to come down a little bit to 22.5. And he's also projected for a 4.5 ERA by Steamer. 
I'm not there. I'm really not there yet. I think that the Rays kind of undersold themselves with this one. I don't think that he is going to be as great as a lot of other people think he is. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'm personally not really in on him. Uh, I mean, 198 is a reasonable enough price if you wanted to take a chance on him. There's no reason not to. Because, again, you're, you're dropping a lot of guys in that range anyway, and there is decent enough upside. But I just can't personally get behind it based on the profile. I just don't think it's really all that great. I just think that he's going to be somebody who at least takes another few years to develop. He stranded 99% of his base runners last year, 99.2, and he allowed a BABIP of 189. You guys who have listened to the show for any length of time know we talk about this regularly. A regular left-on base percentage is about 70 to 75, anywhere in that range. You're not straining 99% of your base runners. A BABIP, regular BABIP is roughly 300, somewhere in that kind of range for most pitchers. It'll vary, again, 280, 320, kind of wherever. But you're not ever seeing 189, right? Not for any sustained period of time, and it's not going to be any different with Pepio. I think that we're looking at somebody who is going to disappoint us in 2024. Let's talk about one of my favorite young pitchers in baseball, Yuri Perez. Had Yuri on a couple teams this past season, and it mostly worked out for you. I mean, he didn't maybe pitch as many innings as you would have wanted. He got sent down. I believe it was the All-Star break they sent him down, and, you know, maybe you would have hoped for more. But let's, you know, let's take what we got. You know, it was his first season. He was literally, I believe, 19 years old when he first made his debut. I could be wrong. Maybe he had turned 20, but I think he was 19. When's his birthday? Uh, April 15th. No, you know, he might have just turned 20, but in any event... As a 20-year-old, his first real taste of professional base. I mean, he played in the minors, but first real taste of major league pitch or major league hitting. I am losing it here. Stick with me. I'll be okay. 315 ERA, 424 XFIP, 411 FIP, and 366 XERA. They're not bad, right? 394 Sierra as well, especially considering you know the age. I'm, I'm not going to be really too worried about that kind of overperforming because you're talking anywhere from about – a 0.7 to about a run and a half. It can be concerning on the upper end of that scale when you look at the XFIP, but the Sierra being about a 0.7 higher than the ERA is not going to be a huge concern. He came up and he was able to carry over that big strikeout rate we saw in the minors getting nearly 30% strikeout rate. It was 28.9 to go along with an 8.3% walk rate, which is totally fine as well. 20.6 on the strikeout minus walk rate. I think that he's going to be really, really good, and I think it's going to happen pretty much right away at this point. They don't really have a lot of room to play with, you know, leaving him down to the minors, and there's not really any need to at this point, right? I think you're probably going to see him in between the minors and majors this past year. We got uh, 91 big league innings, 36 in the minors, so you're talking 130, 120-something innings. I think you're probably going to see like 160 or so innings from him next year, and let's you know, it's something that you're not seeing from a hell of a lot of pitchers. You sh- you saw with Braxton Garrett when I was doing the uh, his analysis that I had to lower the innings threshold for qualified pitchers because 160 is that rare. You don't really see it. And I think that's probably what we're going to get out of Perez. You might not get a hell of a lot of wins, but you're going to get uh, likely exceptional ratios to go along with a really good strikeout rate. And I, I honestly can't see him not – uh, growing on what he did last year, not building on what we saw from him in 2023. I know it doesn't always work that way, but he is one of those guys who is pretty much a can't-miss type of prospect. I, I think we're going to see him build on what we did, he did last season. It might not be a 315 ERA again, but if he got up to like a 32% K rate, I wouldn't be that surprised at all. Now, the price is pretty expensive. At pick 69.3, call it 70, call it 69, whatever it is at that point, it's a little pricey and I wouldn't want to be taking him on every team. Again, this is comes down to your philosophy as well. 
Um, but I, I think if you are somebody who wants to kind of play it safe in your drafts, taking a guy who we don't really know fully if Miami is going to take the kid gloves off, we don't know how well that team is going to perform overall, there are definitely some risks, risks associated with it. So I'm not saying 100% you got to go and take him in every draft. He's going to smash for sure. But I do think that it's a reasonable enough price to pay for somebody who could very realistically return a top 10 SP season. So I'm not going to be holding it against anybody who does want to go out there and pay that price for him. Let's talk Cole Reagans, who was the talk of the town for quite some time this season, did finish out as the 48th SP if you look on Yahoo. I mean, I... I don't love what we've seen so far, specifically the price. And the price is 109 right now. It has gone a minimum of 91, maximum of 144 over the last month. I think we're playing with fire a little bit here from a guy who, again, we're talking 12 good starts, and it was good, but it wasn't blow you away to the same extent as some of the other guys are seeing being hyped up to this extent, right? Like, it, he was not as good as Yuri Perez, I don't think. He had a 10.5% walk rate. He had the same kind of strikeout rate. The ERA was in the same kind of range, the supporting match. Like, it was very similar type of production to what we saw from Perez with worse control. And, of course, you know, people are going to be a little more interested in the lefty because it's kind of flashy. The fact that he was traded midseason and seemed to have this, you know, renaissance in Kansas City. I think people are going to really over overvalue Cole Reagans. He's not a top 20 SP for me. He's not a top 30 SP. I don't even know if he'll be a top 40 SP. I think that you're probably looking at somebody who's going to give you a mid-four type of ERA with probably a decent strikeout rate, but I don't think you're going to be seeing 28 necessarily, again, sustained. I think you're probably, I mean, maybe he's able to get to like 26, 27, but if you start him over the course of a whole season, I don't see him being able to sustain those same kind of strikeout numbers. Walks have always been an issue. I don't see that going away anytime soon. We saw that start in Toronto where he could not get any control of the ball. He was slipping all over the place. Not to say that that's who he is or anything, but we've seen that there's legit control problems. Maybe you want to play in the mound for what happened in Toronto. Whatever. I just don't think that he is fully there yet to justify what will be a top 100 pick come the next few weeks of draft season. I just personally can't really get behind doing it with Cole Reagans. 109, I guess, is not terrible. If he is able to you know, continue what he did last season, then you're getting a great bargain. I just think it's a very low probability of him carrying over those last 10 or 12 starts into this season and being able to do that over the course of 32. But that's just my opinion. I can definitely understand why people are interested. But again, the team context is terrible. Kansas City's not a great pitching environment. Uh, pitching coach-wise, organizationally, not a great pitching organization. There's a lot of things working against them, and I just don't know that I'm really going to want to invest where the price is going to be. Let's talk Aaron Savale. Aaron Savale came over to Tampa from Cleveland midseason for Kyle Manzardo. And, I mean... They got what they wanted, I guess. I think they really overpaid for a guy in Savali who is truly not that exceptional, I don't think. He's a pretty good mid-back rotation guy, but when this Tampa team is fully healthy, he's not even the top five starter for them, right? Maybe now with Glass now gone, maybe he is, but I mean, when you got uh, Rasmussen, when you got Springs, when you got Baz, when you got McClanahan, all these guys working together, Eflin, he's not a top five starter there. I think they... they Probably overpaid for him. Now, he finished the year with a 3.46 ERA, 4.10 XFIP, and his Sierra was 4.15. You're looking at 23% K rate, 6.5% walk rate. He was good. He was fine. 
but I don't think that he's somebody that I can really expect a hell of a lot out of next season. Maybe he's able to give you decent volume, but he doesn't go terribly deep into games. 23 starts was only 122 innings. He's projected for 28 starts and 157 innings, which is okay. But, I mean, he's projected for a 414 ERA and a 125 whip. I just think it's fairly mediocre. It's not going to be something that I think is going to be terribly exciting. Now, maybe Tampa can tinker with a couple things and we can maybe become like closer to a version of Eflin this year. And I think that there's some you know reason to maybe buy into that. I picked 206. It's cheap enough to find out. He's not going to be a must-roster player for me because I just don't think the skills are that great for Savali that he is like an unimpeachable pick. Like He's somebody who could very realistically give you a close-to-five ERA this season. 4.7 ERA with a 1.4 whip. There's not really many strikeouts to fall back on. I could see it being a bit of a disaster draft pick. So for me personally, I'm not going to be taking him on a lot of teams, but I might do it once or twice. Let's talk about number 50 and wrap it up for today with Aaron Nola. Would you believe Aaron Nola coming in at 50th on the starting pitcher list behind Wade Miley, behind Ryan Papio, behind Aaron Zavalli? It's ridiculous. But that's the case with him this season. He just wasn't terribly good. Now, he was a bit unlucky. You know, he wasn't something that I think is indicative of who he is. He had the 446 ERA, but you're still looking at a 363 XFIP. You're looking at a 377 XERA, and you're looking at a 375 Sierra. He still had a 25.5K rate, which was you know the lowest he'd had since 2016. It wasn't great, but he still was able to have a 19.8 strikeout minus walk rate. You're still talking about an elite pitcher skill-wise. 5.7% on the walk rate, really damn good. He was probably never going to be able to sustain 2022's 3.6%. Only... Excuse me, only going up to 5.7% is really not a big deal for me. I just, you know, he's still going to be somebody that has elite control with pretty elite strikeout numbers. And I think that ERA is going to be able to bounce back in a big way next year. He's been an odd year, even year guy, whatever you want to read into that. The last three odd years, you're looking at a 446, 463, and 387 ERA. The last three even years, 325, 328, and 237. I know there's not much to really actually truly read into that. But hell, I mean, maybe it is something that we're going to see. And I think, you know, based on what we saw last year, it's reasonable enough to expect that that homer per nine is not going to be 1.5 again next season. Massive home run problem. 32 of them allowed this year. Big time career high. I just can't see him being that bad again. I think that he is going to be somebody who bounces back. And you're getting him a little bit cheaper this year because of it. You're getting him at pick 48. I think I wish it was a little bit cheaper. But I could take Arenola in the fourth round as my first starting pitcher and be very happy about it after taking three guys in the first three rounds who are position players. And I can be pretty confident in Arenola returning to form or at least 90% of it and getting an ace in round four that usually would have cost me around two, three pick. But that'll do it. That'll do it for us today. Tomorrow we are going to talk about my ideal build from pick nine. I'm going to do this for every single draft spot out of the 15. Try and not overlap as many players as I can. We'll try and do it as unique as possible. But that'll be tomorrow. You can get a sneak peek over on my Twitter, and that is, of course, at JoeOrico99. You can also find it at EthosFantasyBB. And go ahead and check out SportsEthos.com as well. That's where a hell of a lot of content will be posted over the next three months get you guys ready for the fantasy baseball season. It's only three months away. It's crazy, but here we are. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't done so already, I'd really appreciate any ratings and reviews. That would also go a long way in helping us to grow the show here. But I'll leave you there, guys. Until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and cheers. Cheers.